I'd like to uh, invite you to turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. As we come to the end of that uh, chapter, and in some sense to the end of the uh, main body of uh, the letter, we're going to see this morning that um, what he says here is in some sense a conclusion to uh, what he began with in chapter 1, and then what comes on in chapter 13 is then how do we live in light of all that uh, we've seen in the first 12 chapters. Hebrews chapter 12 And I'm going to begin reading to verse 18, but we're going to uh, be looking specifically at verses 25 through 29. Let's give our attention to God's Word. For you have not come to what may be touched, blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And so he's writing to these New Testament Christians and saying, remember, we're not at Mount Sinai any longer with all of its threats and, and, and with the law that condemns. Uh, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then our text. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Let, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's ask the Lord to bless. God in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see You and your holiness, your beauty, your grace in Christ, I pray, Lord, that as we open this word together this morning, we would would know that it is the voice of God still speaking through the preaching of the word, and that we would not reject it, but receive it and be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to think back uh, to when you were a child or boys and girls. You can um, just sort of be in the moment. The question I want to ask you is this. How did you wake up in the morning? In other words, uh, was it an alarm clock that that, uh, went off? Is that what gets you out of bed, uh, boys and girls? Or when you were young, is that what what woke you up each morning? Um, I think for most of us, we would probably say um, it was the voice of a parent that woke us up. When I was, I remember uh, as a boy, uh, it it was the voice of, uh, of my father that would be the thing that would wake us up. Um, 
you, the first thing of the morning would be, boys, time to get up. He'd shout that up the stairs, and, uh, and he would keep saying it until we responded, yes, we're up, even though uh, we all knew it was a lie. We were firmly uh, embedded yet um, under the covers. But um, this text reminds me of that in, in the first phrase here, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Uh, Dad's voice uh, you see, created a new reality. It, it uh, in some sense, when we were there uh, um, in bed under the covers, there was a world before the voice. It was a world of sleep and dreams, and warmth and and, and comfort. But once the voice had spoken, uh, that world was over with. That world was done. There was now a new reality created by the voice, and a response was necessary. That voice carried a, uh, an obligation to respond and, and certain penalties uh, if we didn't respond. Well, we live in a spoken-to world. Uh, we live in an addressed world. Uh, that's, that's been a central theme of the letter. If you have your Bible, just go back to chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1. And this is exactly how he begins his letter of encouragement to this struggling church. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. We live in a spoken to world. And he's reminded us of uh, this voice of God, this speech of God in the verse right before verse 24, uh, verse 25, we've come to Jesus and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So that in Jesus, there's a message that's being proclaimed in the sacrifice of Christ. A word has been spoken into this world. It is, it is a word you can find summarized in John 3.16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a profoundly significant message. And there's an invitation that comes with that message, that voice. Come and be saved all the ends of the earth. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts, and turn to our God. He will have compassion, and to our Lord, for he will abundantly pardon. Those are the gospel invitations that God is speaking into this world. And the promise is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God wants this world to know that he has opened a door in Jesus Christ for lost rebels, sinners, who are standing in the, in the path of judgment to be rescued and everlastingly saved. That's the message that God wants to speak. It's a magnificent message. It's the, it's the most amazing, glorious good news in all the world. And the writer here now, his point as he sort of wraps up the body of his letter is, don't ignore it. That's his main point. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And so let's begin looking first at a warning, and then a promise, and then a calling. 
First, the warning. Uh, If this sounds like a warning, it's because it is. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. You see, he's the writer is is speaking to this uh, group of struggling believers who've lost so much and who are discouraged. And he's reminding them that they live in a spoken-to world. They, they live uh, having heard the voice of God through the gospel. And that, and that they, should, they cannot allow the reality of their circumstances to become the overwhelming reality of their life so they no longer hear the good news. They no longer hear the gospel. They no longer hear the voice of God. You see, one of the things that that trials do is uh, expose what we most highly value. It's what we grieve losing or fear losing. Those are the things that we most highly value. And we we can live, you see, in a world where we're valuing these things. And it's not they don't, that they do not have value. But, but you, we can be so focused on those things, living for those things, grieving these things, we, we ignore the value of, of the gospel. You see, you see, there's nothing that God more highly values than the sacrifice of his beautiful, perfect, obedient son bearing the sins of men so that they can be rescued from the wrath that they deserve. And that has inestimable value and worth in the eyes of God. He sent his own son and sacrificed his own obedient son. And the blood of his son, you see, is is inestimably precious to him. And, And to, you see, ignore it, to forget it, to turn away from it in some way, to to treat it like a small thing is an incredible offense. When when we say, I know, you know, whether by our mouth or by our actions, yes, I know Jesus died. I I appreciate all that. However, these are the trials I'm facing. If God wants to be real to me, if God wants to help me, then I need a job, I need a better marriage, I need, I need whatever it might be. And we scorn the gospel. Husbands, um, your wedding anniversary is a, is a valuable, weighty thing to your wife. She, she places great value upon that. And, and she's convinced that you should do the same. And so if you do not do that, she is going to be offended. If you treat your wedding anniversary is a small thing. She takes it personally. If you, if you think it a, an insignificant thing to remember and, and to celebrate, if it's not worthy of your time or interest, well, in the very same way, God is offended by those who treat that which he esteems so highly as a small, insignificant thing. He loves his son with a fierce, burning, eternal love and delights in the glorious obedience and the sufficient atoning sacrifice of Jesus. God glorifies his son because he humbled himself to death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And God, in a sense, says to this world, don't you dare despise or dishonor that which I so highly esteem. He's not going to tolerate, God the Father will not tolerate 
ongoing, unrepentant dishonoring of his son. He's not going to do it. And the writer presses that point home unapologetically and very clearly in the following verse, as he continues on, verse 25. For, so don't refuse him who speaks, for, and he establishes a fact and then applies it. The fact is, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. He reminds them of an an historical fact that God brought the Israelites of old out of Egypt by his mighty gracious power. He lovingly brought them out of the hellish bondage of of, of Egypt and and he promised them to lead them to a land that he would give them, a land flowing with milk and honey where they would dwell with their God, sort of a recreated Eden, all by the grace of God. But that he, he gathered them on Mount Sinai and said, and here's, here's the context of this covenant that I'm making with you. And, and if you obey my voice and if you keep my commands, this, these are all the things that I promised to you. But they refused his voice. They grumbled. They complained. I mean, Egypt was nice and all that, but we want meat. And, and uh, what about the leeks and onions we had back in Egypt? What, that would be better. And, and you're just leading us out here to die. They didn't trust God. They doubted his word. They ignored his voice. When God said, go into the land, the spies came back and 10 of them said, there's no way in the world we can go into that land. They're, they're like giants there. Only two of them said, well, who cares if there are giants there? God brought us out of Egypt. He can bring us into the land. And yet the people listened to the 10 spies. And what happened? God sentenced them all to death. The whole lot of them. Every person over 20 years of age was sentenced to die in the wilderness. They would never see the land. Only two, Joshua Joshua and Caleb. The whole bunch of them are sentenced to death. That's an historical fact. Then the writer applies it. And his point is, if that's what happened to those who refused to listen to God's voice when God spoke from earth, how much less will we escape him who speaks to us from heaven? He's he's talking about, we've gathered to Mount Zion. We have a greater messenger, Jesus Christ, who speaks a greater message, the gospel. Vastly greater privileges are ours. Vastly uh, greater ability we can enter in, we can draw near to God. If we refuse that message, how will we escape? You see, if, if God was angry and condemned those who ignored the lesser message, how will we escape if we ignore the greater message? That's the point. To say it positively, there is no chance whatsoever that you will escape the divine eternal wrath of God if you receive the message and refuse it or ignore it. That's just saying it positively. Now that's a message that needs to be heard because it's a reality that, that we seem blithely unaware of. Uh, people walk away from the church and walk away from orthodox faith or obedient faith or even just away from the Lord as if they're going to Walmart. 
It's just not a big deal. It's a life choice decision that they've made and we're expected just to stand by and honor that decision. And people recognize it might offend some people, might make mom and dad unhappy, but I need to live my life as if that were all there is to consider. There might be some of you sitting here this morning and you know in your heart that you don't really believe this stuff. It doesn't really concern you whether or not your life is in keeping with the word of God or whether or not you have a relationship with God. And that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be a big deal. And, and maybe you know in your heart that you don't, you don't really have, a, you see, a relationship with God that actually is, is changing you, humbling you, uh, making you run to Christ, rely on his grace and grieve for your sin. And, and if you're, maybe you're sitting here comfortable in your unbelief, maybe even a little proud of your unbelief, that you're your own person. Oh, oh friend, this, God is a word for you. Do you remember how Jesus responded to the unbelief of the Jews? Who, you see, had the message of God, the Logos, the Word of God, right in their midst. And yet they, they didn't believe. And so Jesus said, woe to you. Woe to you. If the miracles that I performed in your midst had been done up in the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in dust and ashes a long time ago. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for you. This is Jesus meek and mild. Just speaking truth. It will be better. You're going to wish you'd lived in Sodom, not in Bethsaida, because in Bethsaida you had Jesus right in front of you and you didn't believe it. That's what Jesus says. You see, the idea that God is, is angry with those who refuse to hear his voice just doesn't seem to occur to people. We've gotten, in, in, in our day and age, um, a, a vision of God that doesn't include consuming fire. We've got a vision of God that does not include anger. Uh, a, a, God, a vision of God that does not include judgment. Who is God that, that he should have the audacity to judge us for not believing in him? Well, he's God who has not just spoken a message, but he's spoken a gospel message and sacrificed his own son on a cross to rescue you from your rebellion and sin so you do not have to experience everlasting condemnation. And he is rightly offended if you think that a small thing and unworthy of your time and attention. Remember one of the, um, one of the things that happened in the early church Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? You can pick it up in Acts chapter 5 if you just need to be reminded. It's, it's, a, and it's a, an astonishing story. Here's this couple in the church. Uh, there was sort of a, a fund going on for poor people, and, and some people were selling property and bringing the, 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 the money to the elders, uh, apostles, so that it could be dispersed to the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira decide to do that. So they, they sell their property, and they bring the money to, to, um, to Peter. And Peter says, is this the amount you got for the property? And they said, yes. And well, it wasn't the amount they got for the property. They had made a little more, but they thought in order to enhance their reputation, they would pretend it was, it was the whole chunk. 
And Peter looks at Ananias and says, Ananias, why have you, why have you determined in your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? And Ananias falls over dead. And his wife wonders what happens to him. She trots in and, and, uh, and Peter says, uh, Sapphira, yeah, that gift that you gave, was that, was that the whole amount? She said, yes, it was. And he says, well, the feet of the young man who just took your husband out are coming back to take you out. And she falls over dead. Now, that is not, that's just not a 21st century American vision of God. Great fear, we read, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. You see, God, friends, is, is not ashamed. God is not ashamed to be angry with sin. God is not ashamed to promise to punish sinners. He's not ashamed. We don't have to make excuses for him. He's not ashamed of his holiness. He never apologizes for his righteousness. Ever. In fact, he wants us to know about it so that we might sense the danger we're in if we're not living in faith and might flee to Jesus Christ, the one he has provided for our rescue. But he wants us, you see, he wants us to know he's serious about these things. So when, when... Why did I obey the voice of my father calling me to get out of that nice warm bed on a dark, cold winter morning to go out and do chores? Well, in large part because I discovered that when I failed to obey, it did not go well, ever. And so you see, that's a good lesson to learn. God wants us to learn. Why should we respond to the gospel? with sincerity, with earnestness, with zeal. Because you see, to not respond is not going to go well. God promises that. He's he's, he's willing, you see, to threaten us in order to save us. That's the truth about our God. Now, the text goes on, and we do need to move on as well. There's a promise here, not just a threat, a promise. And the writer tells us that God has promised Not only to shake the earth, but also the heavens. Verse 27, um, to shake the things that have been made, creation, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So the writer is just telling us and telling this early church that God is about this vast reclamation renewal project. He's promised, you see, to engage this lost world and to shake things up to remove the things that have been made so that the things that will not be shaken, the things that are steadfast and sure, will remain. He's going to clean the place up. He promises to do that. That's good news. Don't you want it cleaned up? Aren't Aren't you tired of sickness? Aren't you tired of weakness and failure and sin and despair and darkness and death? Aren't you sick of all of those things? Aren't you tired of rebellion against the living God? Well, Peter says the Lord's going to return. And on the day of the Lord, he writes in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's all going to be laid bare. It's going to be shaken. This, this, This creation is transient. 
It's transient. It's passing. And when Jesus returns on the, on the clouds of heaven, you see then all of the weakness and the sin and the, and, the, and the rebellion and the failure and the fall, the curse, all of it's going to be wrapped up and like an old dirty garment, it's going to be thrown away. Why? So that what is lasting may remain. God's getting rid of all that is evil so that what is good and true and honorable and praiseworthy and righteous and glorious will stand beautifully now adorned by the holiness of God, revealed before all the world for what it is, God's own city. Brilliant in its holiness and brilliant in its beauty. And, and you are going to be a part of it. You're going, to be, you're going to be, in a sense, the crown of it as the citizen, citizens of this kingdom. That's the promise. That's, that's an incredible promise. You see, he's taken this small struggling church. He's taken them in the middle of their hard, painful, distressing circumstances. And he's just blowing open the horizon of their perspective and saying, yes, it is hard. The discipline of the Lord is painful at the time. I know that. But you got to see the big picture. The big picture is that this world and everything in it is transient, it's fleeting, it's passing. And you belong to something that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God, the heavenly city. Therefore, a calling. Therefore, on the basis of all that, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I just want you to sense the audacity of this. How do you go to people who've lost their homes, they've lost their property, they've lost their jobs, they lost their reputation, they lost their standing, they lost their family? They lost everything that this world counts valuable. How do you go to those people and with a straight face look them in the eye and say, I want you to be grateful? Because that will offend people. You want me to be grateful for everything we've lost? Well, he doesn't say be grateful for everything you've lost. What he says is be grateful for everything you've gained. Because what you've gained is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You've gained, you see, uh, to receive a kingdom uh, means that you, you've received the crown of a king or a prince. And all the status and glory and honor that belongs to that. And, and that's the message throughout the Bible that, that one day you and I, uh, those who are, have faith in Jesus Christ, all the weakness and the dishonor and the shame of the, that, that clings to us, it's all going to go away and we are going to be robed with honor. We're going to be beautified with holiness. We're going to be weighted with glory, the glory and the honor and the beauty of Jesus given to you. You're not going to be in heaven just a slightly better, more moral version of yourself. You are going to be radically, gloriously transformed into a version of yourself you've never imagined. You don't know what glory feels like or what honor settles to, to, to be full of honor and, and, and weight and beauty. We don't know what those things are in their truth. But that's what's coming. That's what's promised. As you receive a kingdom. So let us, let us be grateful. 
Let us be grateful. Do you deserve that? Do you, re- do you deserve to be so identified with Jesus Christ that angels will be tempted to bow down and worship you? Do you deserve that inheritance? Do you deserve that future, that kingdom? No, you don't. And so what do we say? We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, Father, for rescuing me from my bondage to death and sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking that truth to me and giving me ears to hear. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Gratefulness, you see, is what is just, it's not a duty. It's just what happens when you, when you wake up and see what's, what God has done for you. And then worship. Let us worship, offer to God acceptable worship. <clears throat> With reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is a, this is a challenging uh, text. Because when we think consuming fire, we think run. At least you should think that. Right? right? I mean, consuming fire is dangerous. Consuming fire can hurt you. Well, that is not what we're meant to think here. The writer is not uh, saying to us, now remember, when you come to worship, I want you to be afraid. Be very afraid. Because God can get you. That's not what he's saying. He just, he just told them in, in chapter 10, let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let's go right into the holy place where no one is allowed. Let's go right in there because Jesus Christ has blown open the way. And you are welcome now to come into the very most holy, holy place of the living God with confidence. So let us draw near with confidence. So what is he, why is he reminding us of of consuming fire. Because you see, the consuming fire for Barnabas or whoever's writing this is not a, it's not a, a fearful, terrifying, run away reality. It is a glorious, beautiful, praise God reality. It is something to celebrate. You see, it just means that God is righteous and and you should love it that God is righteous and God is holy and you should delight in that that God is holy. And he has a passion for his glory that will consume everything that is at war with his glory, at war with his honor, at war with his truth. Praise God that he's not fickle about his glory. Praise God that that there is a consuming, fiery passion about God concerning these things. And you see, because God is that, he's not safe. We need to acknowledge that. Exactly as C.S. Lewis says in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe concerning Aslan. Is Is he safe? Well, of course he's not safe. He's not safe. He's not not tame. He's He's not our pet. He's a lion, but he's good. He's, he's astonishingly good. And so to, to say let us worship with reverence and with awe, it just means let, let, let's not be flippant and fickle about the worship of God, whether it's, it's happening in public assembly or whether it's happening at home. 
as you worship the Lord in, the, in, the, in just the day-to-day details of your life. This, this, is, this is the text that you'll find if you read worship books where people will take that and, and argue for maybe a certain uh, demeanor or dress in worship. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't re- relate to that. We do live in a casual uh, culture, a culture where, where, where things that are honorable and, and, and inestimable and valuable are sort of brought down so we are comfortable with it. And that, that absolutely has affected our worship. And so and I guess my charge would be, um, this isn't primarily a call for a dress code, but, but it's worth asking yourself, how do I approach the worship of God? Is it, is it a flippant, casual sort of reality in my life? That sort of bleeds through all of my dealings with God. That I'm flipping about spending time with the Lord. I'm flipping about obeying the Lord. I'm, I'm very casual about what I watch or what I say or what I do. It's not, it's not my God has been tamed for me. And so my, my sort of casual, flippant attitude pervades all of my life. Well, wake up. Your God's a consuming fire. At the same time, if, 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 if you're a person who is very concerned about reverence in worship and, and reverence in dress and reverence, the, the challenge would be, does that reverence that you show in public gathering, is that reverence reflected throughout the rest of your life? Is that reverence reflected in, in how you do your business? Is that re- reverence reflected in how you do your, your marriage? How you do relationships? How you treat people? You see, it's calling us all to the same thing. It's, it's, it's not a verse about dress code, fundamentally. It's a, it's a verse about the reality of God and then the calling for you and I to respond to that reality, that glorious reality of God with reverence and awe, that we respond to God as he is, not the God that we maybe have created or become comfortable with in our own mind. But God as he is, and as, as we focus on God as he is, and let me wrap with this. The fact that God is a consuming fire, he does wonderful things for us. It is a wonderful help to us. God as he is will do several things. One, it'll drive you to love Jesus Christ and to delight in the salvation of God, the one that God himself has given to protect you from the fire. God never apologizes for his holiness, as we said, but God has made a way that his holiness need not consume you. That's the gospel. It need not consume you. Jesus Christ is the one who came willingly to suffer the fire, to suffer the wrath in your place, bearing your sin, so you don't have to. But friend, hear me well. If you ignore that message, if you ignore that shelter, where will you hide on the day of judgment? There's no other place to run. This is the day of grace, and the voice of God is speaking today. Paul says, as ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God because now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, don't, don't, don't refuse the voice of God that speaks the gospel. Don't refuse. Respond. And what's the next step in your life right now? What's that response going to look like? Is it going to look like repentance? Is it going to look like humbling yourself? Is it going to maybe look, some of you, it's going to look like making profession of faith where you say, I'm, I'm going to take this, this seriously. This is my God. This is my faith. I'm going to profess it. For some of you, it's going to mean coming and talking to someone and, and, and finding help. 
For some of you, it'll be, I want to know the Lord. Would you please lead me to Jesus? We want to see him. See, the, 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 the consuming, beautiful fire of God drives us to Jesus. And then that same consuming reality, the, the fire of God, should give us a passion for lost people. Because every person you meet that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ remains under that fire and in danger of that fire. And we have been called to speak the message. God is speaking through his church. We're the ones who are sent into this world today to call people to come and be saved. And the final thing, and I'll wrap with this. The, what the reality of the fire the fiery truth about God and, and all of his greatness and glory. You see, it, it sort of clears away the spiritual fog that we can so easily live in, the fog caused by difficult circumstances. It's exactly what's happening here to the church in, uh, that, that's being addressed. It happens in our own lives. And, and what the reality of God does as it breaks through, it just simplifies things. Okay, the circumstances are chaotic and you don't know how to proceed and you're not sure what, what, what to do. But, but the reality of God, you see, will bring clarity. Trust Him. Obey Him. Wait on Him. Be grateful for all that you have and worship Him. And the Lord promises to lead. It just brings, it brings clarity. God's not asking you to fix your life or to straighten it all out. He's asking you to trust in him. It clears away the fog caused by worldliness. If you're just comfortable living in this world that's passing away, these transient things, a world that's at war with God, this message says, wake up. You don't belong to this passing world. If you are a Christian, you belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There is an antithesis. There is a dividing line between you and the world that's passing away. Uh, so, so don't make your home here. Recognize everything you read in Sports Illustrated, everything you see in, in, on the, the magazines on the, in the, in the, along the counter at Meyer. It's all passing away. But you belong to greatness and glory. Wake up to it. Let's, let's strive and live according to it. And if you remember, God spoke twice audibly during the ministry of Jesus, didn't he? Jesus spoke the words of God. Every word the Father gave him, Jesus said. But the God the Father himself spoke twice. And he said the same thing both times. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. May God give us the grace to do so. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you that you are holy. I thank you that you are righteous. I thank you that you are awesome. I thank you, O oh God, that there is within you a fiery passion and zeal to consume all that is evil. And Father, what an amazing thing that we can be thankful for that because, Lord, by nature we are evil. And we have sinned. We are the rebels for whom Jesus had to die. And Father, I thank you that... You are a God who is holy, but also a God who is abounding in love and compassion and, and mercy and pity for those who have rebelled against you so much so that you sent your son who bore our sin and died our death, suffered the fire that we deserved so that we can boldly live in the grace of God. Father, we are people who live in a culture that uh, thinks little of honor, 
uh, that smears uh, and makes small things that are deeply meaningful and valuable in your sight. We think little of life. We think little of, of sexual purity. We think little of covenant keeping. We think little of, of holiness. We think little of Jesus, except to use his name in cursing. And Father, we're, we're impacted by our culture. We want to be impacted by the culture of heaven. We want to be impacted by the kingdom uh, that cannot be shaken. That our lives are more and more being transformed to those realities. Oh, Father, thank you for the word that you've spoken. I thank you that it's a word of grace. I thank you that it's a word for sinners. And that as we come, as we confess, as we believe, we can have the confidence to draw near to God. And know that the, the holy fire of God will never threaten us. will, will be something, Lord, that we are joyfully worship and adore forever. We pray, Lord, that that would be true for each one here. In Jesus' name, amen.